all's well that ends well in the completion of the story of Esther. All's well that ends well as the oppressors lose their power. All's well that ends well as Esther rises in her bravery and cunning. All's not so well for the oppressor now oppressed. And everything is compromised in this win for heaven. It is a messy and compromised world. And today, we journey through it. Hello, I'm Roddy Hamilton, the Minister of New Kilpatrick Parish. And as always, it's good to be together. And thank you for the invitation to be with you today. We finally come to the conclusion of the story of Esther. It's been a while since we began, and so, in all the best TV drama traditions, here's previously on Esther. King Xerxes removes Vashti as queen for not displaying herself in front of his guests. Her defiance of her husband puts fear into all the men of the empire. So she is deposed and the king orders a new bride. So there's a beauty contest and Esther, a Jew but don't tell anyone, wins the king's favour. Shortly afterwards, Esther's uncle, Mordecai, discovers a plot to assassinate Xerxes. The conspirators are hanged and Mordecai gets promoted. Xerxes appoints a man called Haman as viceroy. Haman doesn't like Mordecai because Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. Haman therefore plots to kill Mordecai and all the Jews in the empire. A royal decree is issued throughout the kingdom to slay all Jews on a day chosen by dice. Mordecai implores Esther to intercede with the king. She invites Xerxes to a feast in the company of Haman. During the feast, she asks them to attend a further feast the next evening. Meanwhile, Haman is again offended by Mordecai and at his wife's suggestion has a gallows built to hang Mordecai. That night, Xerxes cannot sleep and orders the court records to be read to him. He is reminded uh, that Mordecai interceded in the previous plot against his life and discovers that Mordecai never received any recognition. In a moment of unfortunate timing, Haman appears requesting permission to hang Mordecai. But before he can make this request, the king asks Haman what should be done for a man the king wishes to honour. Haman is a bit full of himself and thinks the king is talking about him. So Haman suggests that the man be dressed in the ro king's royal robes and crown and led around on the king's royal horse. While a herald calls, see how the king honours a man he wishes to reward. To his surprise and horror, the king instructs Haman to do so to Mordecai. It's not going well. Loving God, in this community together, we create a welcome for each other beyond those we can see yet know we are connected through love, through grace, through shared story. In our listening together, may we hear the story told for us, and in our wondering together, may we ask the questions we need to ask.
mere worship. Be open to our humanity as we are and not as we would like ourselves to be. So we come with the disappointments and the insecurities and the sense of letting you down. Yet we believe in this time together we are redeemed, renewed by a word of life, of promise that speaks into our hopes and our futures. And there is where you continually meet us in tomorrow, in what is yet to be, in what this day shapes and tomorrow brings. Hear us as we pause in this time together, finding the space to be ourselves in your presence and know that is enough. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favour, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. That is my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed and to be annihilated. And if we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king rose from the feast in wrath and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg his life from the Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance to the king, said, Look, the very gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, stands at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that, 
So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the month, year by year, as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. And so we finally end the tale of Esther, except we don't quite because we've missed out probably the worst bit of all. You see, the king has decreed that the Jews should be slaughtered, the decree that Haman persuaded the king to announce. So Esther works her magic again on the king, so he does some further decree making this time to allow the Jews their day of revengeful destruction. And in the end, 75,000 Persians are killed at the hands of the Jews. Big problem here, when the oppressed become the oppressor, as happened so regularly in our history. Some will argue it's just self-defense. Others, the right to slaughter their enemies. The story was going so well up to this point and now good and evil aren't as simple as we thought they were. But Esther isn't a history book. The writer isn't actually concerned with history at all. This is a story designed to be read by folk who are in exile. It's a lot of hyperbole, a colourful story to keep up the spirits of those who are far from home. Though that hardly excuses the, the xenophobia at the end. The question behind Esther is, how do you find courage in exile? What words do you give those who are scattered across someone else's empire and you have no homeland? Because that is what this story is designed to offer. The story was written in the, the fourth century thereabouts, BCE, or we think it was. Jews were generally living throughout the, the Greek empire, soon to become a Roman one. There was no real Jewish homeland. So they found themselves living among foreigners and there was a need for focus. Exiles needed hope and Esther offers that. Of course, God is left out of the story. God is never mentioned, at least in the original Hebrew. There was a later Greek version that wrote God into the story. Prayers were added, characters more sanitised, which actually just removes them from a compromised and messy world and leaves God in charge, which is fine, but it isn't real. We live in a compromised and messy world. And the worst bit is at the end of the book where God is given the, the excuse or, or is the reason for the, the um, destruction. And maybe God is best left out of it. Don't put on God what is actually your own doing. That's the reality. And we're all in that boat. So Esther, perhaps, is a book of our time for whatever exile we are in, and certainly as an institution called the church, that's exactly where we are. 
and in our political structures at the moment in our nation. That lack of certainty with no great vision or sense of who we are any longer. As a nation, it feels we are in exile. And we need stories such as this, ultimately, to keep alight a dim and spluttering flame of hope. Faith that the great arc of truth curves towards justice. Esther has served Judaism for centuries with a tale to provide hope in the midst of despair and in exile as the Jews found we have a choice we can let God go and be taken over by the empire of the time and ultimately die or we can let God grow into something renewed reimagined and that will ultimately live Esther is an invitation to let God grow not to let empire take over, but make space for a reimagining, a renewal, a resurrection, if you want. This fable of legendary people is our invitation today to ask ourselves, how might we keep the hope alive as we reimagine God and faith and our future? Thank you for your company again today. Thank you for all the support that you have been giving the church over the last week while through Christian Aid and the support for St Gregory's Food Bank, etc., all of which will continue. We are developing as a church as always and we've got Pentecost coming up in a couple of weeks time and a kind of special service there as well. And we've got our summer services where we will be joining up and um, sharing services with the Cross Church. But more of that later next month sometime. General Assembly is coming up in the next week or so. And so the church has lots of major decisions to make. And you'll be hearing about some of them uh, next week as well as we move towards that time in our church's life. But day to day, parish to parish, we're working away, doing as much as we can just to keep everything going and alive and a sense of, of um, ambition again in how we might be the church in this exiled world, if you want, in a new way. Always developing, never knowing exactly how to do that, but we'll experiment and we'll try and we'll keep going with that. And all of that information will be in the bulletin, which you can get uh, from the website at nkchurch.org.uk. That can be emailed to you as well, or it can be posted to you. Um, just let us know which one you want. So thank you for your company today and thank you for letting us accompany you. But let's gather together and draw together those concerns we have for our world and our prayers for others. Let us pray. Loving God, may you be in this world. May you be the light, the hope, the possibility. May you still be God in the conflict of Sudan and Ukraine, in the way poverty has dramatically increased because of war and pandemics and fear for our own wealth. May you still be God in the places of hunger because of climate change and trade rules and cost of living crisis. May you still be God by the bedsides of the ill and those who have to wait, the lack of investment in our health and social services. 
May you still be God in our neighbourhoods, our communities, our families, especially our young folk, and exam season and uncertain futures. May you still be God in this messy and compromising world, who's in with the stewer and the chaos and the real lives of your people. Loving God, may you still be God in a confused and exiled world and tell stories of love to bring us together again. So be it. Amen. Go in peace. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the common life of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore.